Hello, everyone, and welcome to broadcast number 68 of Indie Radio. Indie Radio is an indie game development talk show that airs bi-weekly on Saturdays at noon U.S. Central Time to help you keep up with the ever-evolving world of indie game development, debate about issues in the indie game scene, and to let you into the mind of some of the most interesting people behind the creation of indie games. Today, I'll be your host, Brett Hudson, broadcasting from the Midwest United States. And we have a guest today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, hello. I am E. McNeil. I am an indie game designer from San Diego. I've made some virtual reality games called Darknet and Tactera. We met E. at IndieCade. Uh, it was already two weeks ago. Jeez, mm-hmm. um, time flies by quickly. <laughs> and I actually had to get my hands on Darknet and uh, play it for the first time. And it is so cool. Like, I, I, I don't even know what to say. It, it's just... It's so different than all the other VR games out there, in the sense that it's like this kind of fantasy virtual, you know, hacking game, really. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like, um, I, I usually tell people it's like Hollywood's idea of what hacking was in the 80s and 90s, and you're inhabiting that in virtual reality. <laughs> Perfect. So, um, we're going to do our news as always first. Uh, there isn't a whole lot today. Um, and then also, if you are listening to this live, there is an IRC channel. You can either check it out in your IRC client of choice. Um, it is at the afternet.org network. The channel is just Indie Function, I-N-D-I-E Function. Or if you're listening to it on the Indie Function radio page, uh, you can scroll to the bottom of the page. There's an iframe there. Just type in a username, uh, hit enter, and you'll be in there. And you can chat with uh, both of us. Um you can suggest news topics. You can ask e questions. Just go crazy. <laughs> so the first thing in the news is um, the Handmade Con, uh, which is super cool. So Casey Meritori is running this convention called Handmade Con, and it is based off of the Handmade Hero series. And he has a list of five amazing people coming to talk throughout the day. So it's, I believe it's eight hours. Um, It's on December 5th, which is a Saturday? Yeah, it is a Saturday because it overlaps our show, actually. Um, And he has Tommy Raffinis from Super Meat Boy, uh, Mike Acton, Pat Wyatt, Jonathan Blow, and Ron Gilbert joining them which is a fantastic lineup, and they're going to each be talking for about an hour and a half and be talking about different things in games programming. Like, uh, with Tommy, Casey really wants to find out about creating fluid controls, uh, and then if you want to go with... Uh, let, let's see here... Um, yeah, Mike, Mike Acton, um, Casey's going to ask questions about uh, managing teams, scaling code, and maintaining a ki- code base that isn't complete chaos, because he's, he's the engine director at Insomniac Games, so he knows all about that stuff. Um, and Casey, he's he's just lovely to listen to, so regardless, uh, this is going to be a fantastic, fantastic convention. Uh, tickets are on sale right now. They just bumped up to $45 on Thursday. Um, but you can still pick them up, and 
then it happens out in Seattle, by the way. So if if you're in that area on the fifth, definitely definitely consider checking this out because it's going to be great. There is no information if he's going to be streaming it, uh, whether we're talking like Twitch or just an audio thing like this. Uh, so we don't know if it'll be available online uh, initially or ever. So definitely jump on that if you want to uh, check that out. Have you heard about that, E? I hadn't, but that sounds like a really good guest list. Mm. Anything with Jonathan Blow. <laughs> yeah, much. right? Yeah, but Insomniac, uh, Casey Muratori, uh, Tommy Refines, there's really good names there. Yeah, uh, I'm guessing then perhaps you've heard of the uh, the Handmade Hero thing that Casey's doing? I have definitely heard of it, but I, I, I can't recall what it is right now. Yeah, so I, I might as well bring it up. Um, mm-hmm. It is him streaming once a day, uh, Monday through Friday, on oh. creating a c- game completely from scratch using C++. Right, I do remember this now. Yeah, so he, he goes in, like, just just week two, you're, like, writing your own pixel buffer and sound buffer uh, using C++, so there's no using libraries or, like, frameworks or anything. It's all just, hey... We're going to jump in and we're going to make everything and we're going to say that we made it all. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it's a great learning uh, opportunity for anybody that wants to get into games or anybody that's been doing games for a long time and wants to learn more about uh, low-level programming. Uh, Casey goes on these tangents all the time that, like, they're never boring um, and you always learn so much. Like, one time he went into, like, how the CPU works and, like, all the little ca- uh, caches... Uh, it's so interesting. And now I'm going on a bit of a tangent. <laughs> um, so uh, our last show was during IndieCade, so I suppose we should also re- uh, like kind of recap uh, what happened at IndieCade. Um, and I've already forgotten which which games won the award, <laughs> so i got to pull that up quick. Uh, where is it? I remember some of them. Yeah, because uh, here, here we go. I think this is it. War games. Yeah. All right. But which ones are? Uh, see, I should have grabbed this link earlier. <laughs> here we go. Okay. So um, there there were a handful of awards this year, uh, more than previous years, if if I'm correct. Um, so the the Media Choice Award. Um, I was super pumped to uh, have helped towards Codex Bash winning that. That was a cool uh, hardware-based game. Uh, I believe that was right next to you, wasn't it? Yeah, I played a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was created by uh, Alistair Aitchinson, who uh, who I actually have known for quite a few years. We haven't hmm. chatted in probably four years, but we ran into each other, and we were talking to IndieCade. He's like, oh, yeah, you should come check out my my game. And then I I looked at his name tag and I was like, oh my gosh, you're Alistair. <laughs> um, so that was that was fantastic. Uh, Developers Choice Award went to Rose Macbeth, which um, is that is that one of the games or is that the developer? That was I think one of the night games. Ah. So it was only played on uh, I think Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. 
So I was going to say, I don't remember seeing that anywhere. Okay, if it was a night game, then yeah, that makes sense. I I wasn't there for the whole night games. I kind of just jumped in and just hung out with people, didn't really participate. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, uh, what else is there? Oh yeah, the Grand Jury Award went to Her Story, which I still haven't played um, beyond a, a couple minutes at, at uh, IndieCade. So should probably get on that if it won the the award uh and then what what else is there uh there's some smaller awards like story world design went to donut county which is just so much fun to look at uh it's such a quirky little game um and then uh memory of a broken dimension that game is mind-boggling did did you get to play that e no i got to watch people play it a little bit but uh and it looks gorgeous Mm-hmm. I haven't gotten to play it myself. Yeah, so uh, the way that it works is that uh eases virtual reality with an Oculus Rift, and then it also tracks your hands. And your left hand allows you to reach into the past, and your right hand allows you to reach into the future, and you have to solve puzzles using this this weird time manipulation uh, ability. Just so weird. Um uh, oh yeah, the Audience Choice Award went to uh, Bad Blood, which which I thought was pretty interesting, because that was one of the physical games, if I'm remembering it correctly. Wait, no. Let me let me look at which game this is. Oh no, 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 no. This this was a cool one, though. This this was in the, uh, the eSports tent, so it was only there for a little bit. Um, but yeah, that it's really cool that it won the audience choice award yeah uh so yeah uh indicated happened and awards were given tons of great games uh we did do write-ups uh on some of the cool games that we found uh on each day on our website uh so you can check those out as well and find out <coughs> about all sorts of cool stuff and the number one game listed on the first day Starknet. it sure is first game yeah. on there <laughs> All right. Um, what else happened in news? Uh, I didn't. I didn't see too much. I mean, there were a few things that happened, but they weren't really worth mentioning. Like, uh, what was it? It was something. Uh, Monkey shut down. Um, they. It's a software that allows you to turn your phone into a controller for certain games. Um, hmm. Wish I could remember what it is. I think I yeah I deleted the email, um, but yeah that was that was kind of sad to see that go. It was in games like uh, Race the Sun. Uh, it allowed you you could use touch screen or tilt controls on your phone and use it on your laptop, but they're not not running anymore. So yeah, um, I'm gonna go check the IRC. All right, bit quiet in there today. Um, but if you are just listening in. Uh, and you want to join us in the IRC, it is at the bottom of the Indie Function radio page, so IndieFunction.com slash radio. Um, I'm sure if you're listening to it, you're probably listening it to, to it there. So scroll down, uh, type in a username, and you can join us, ask us questions, all sorts of stuff, because we're about to jump into the interview to talk to E about Darknet, virtual reality, uh, his new game, uh, Tactura. I'm, I'm saying that correctly, right? I say Tactera, but I'm not going to really go correcting people, I think. Oh, okay. Tactera. Okay. That, that, that definitely makes sense. Uh, but, 
<laughs> pronunciation. Yeah, there's there's another game uh, recently that every other person said differently. Mm, I can't remember it's, what it is. Naming's the hardest part of game <laughs> game development. Yep. All right. So, um, yeah, let's let's talk about Darknet. You want to give the the fame story of how you came up with or how you were inspired to create Darknet? Yeah. Um, so I I actually had the idea of Darknet um, for a long while. You know, as soon as the Oculus Rift was announced and I started sort of daydreaming about what kind of game I might want to make in VR, um, a hacking game was kind of an, an obvious idea in, because in part, like, I had this association of, like, putting on the virtual reality headset and, like, going inside the computer which I think is borrowed from sort of, you know, a Hollywood trope of, you know, movies like Johnny Mnemonic or Hackers or Matrix mm-hmm. or things like that. Um, so I backed the Oculus Rift Kickstarter, um, got one of the early development kits, and then Oculus uh, ran a contest. They called it the VR Jam in collaboration okay. with Indicate, actually, uh, back in 2013. And it was like a three-week jam to make a game for the Oculus Rift. And I made... Um, my hacking game. And it wasn't called Darknet at the time, but it was essentially the, you know, the, the precursor to Darknet. And uh, that ended up winning the jam. And so I got to uh, go to IndieCade and like, uh, show off the game at the Oculus tent. I got to visit the Oculus headquarters and Whoa. talk to their developer relations people and everything. And that was what gave me the push uh, to turn it into a full game. And then you know, like at that time, Nobody really knew how to do anything in VR. So if you had shipped anything, you were considered a VR guy. Um, You're like an expert relative to most other developers. And so um, I started being pegged as, you know, a person doing VR stuff and decided to roll with that and uh, keep making VR games with my next one. And so, you know, I had a bunch of ideas. I tried out a few of them and... uh, Tactera became the you know the next project, but we can talk about that later. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was the end. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, bro. No, it's okay. Um, it, it happens on the radio. It's just like, oh, oh, that was the end of the story. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So that you got to go to Oculus headquarters. What was that like? It was pretty cool. They were a lot smaller back then. Um, they had a headquarters in Irvine, California, and since then they've moved up to the Bay Area to Menlo Park. Um, okay. So, yeah, I got to to go inside and um, shake hands with Palmer Lucky, and you know, look at <laughs> you know, he was actually testing out some of the um, the technology that eventually became the development kit too, and I got to try that early, which was really nice. Um, I got to try out some some games and talk to the people you know who were uh, making stuff happen. Which was all really cool. I don't want to oversell it though, because they're actually really um, like accessible and pretty pretty good about getting in contact with developers. You know, there's some co-founders of the company who just are walking around mingling with developers like me. You know, like studios of size of one. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, they're not usually like uh, they don't, they don't really put up big walls between themselves and developers. Um, but I got to experience that, you know, pretty early on. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine that they would want to, uh, yeah, p- put up a wall because um, VR is could potentially be really uh, 
small ni- uh, niche, you know, kind of following. So making sure that they can get in in as many developers' hands as possible is definitely definitely a good thing. So um, mm-hmm. then, uh, did you get to see the uh, the Samsung Gear before everybody else, or? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah. I um, so I stayed in contact with the Oculus folks, and then uh, later at GDC of the next year, mm-hmm. um, I was uh, was offered to do you know to meet with them, and I, I wasn't told anything about it. But essentially, they you know showed me the you know earliest version of a Gear VR. There was a lot of stuff that wasn't working. Uh, it wasn't quite as good or high resolution, you know, or comfortable as the final version. Um, but enough was working that you could see, you know, that this proved the concept. You know, you could get good VR working on a phone. Um, and so Darknet, Darknet was being built for PC, but it was also like one of the reasons that I wanted to do that game is because it was pretty abstract graphics, pretty stylized, um, you know, something that I can do pretty simply without being able to build detailed art myself. And so that also makes it a pretty good candidate for porting to mobile. So I, uh, you know, got down to it and started um, porting Darknet to Android, got it running on a phone, which is pretty difficult for VR stuff. And yeah, it it worked. So Darknet actually launched um, its full version in December of last year. Okay. But that was for the Gear VR Innovator Edition launch. And their mm. sort of real consumer launch is happening this year, so it feels like Darknet is sort of half released at this point. Yeah, you did a really good job with getting it to run on the um, on the phone because I <laughs> I didn't even realize until the end, like g- completely realized that there was the Samsung phone running the game. Um, mm-hmm. Like they, I was I was really impressed with how smooth it was. Um, Thank you, and they that. Not sure if that's mostly your you're doing or if like the Samsung stuff is just really really well made. It, it's, it's probably a, it's a, combination. a combination of both. Like there's probably you probably couldn't do that on just any phone or one you know a phone where they hadn't sort of unlocked some of the uh, special stuff that they they unlocked for Oculus. Like they they have a deal with Samsung where you know there are certain things in the Android operating system that no one's allowed to touch unless you're doing VR, and that allows the phone to run faster and potentially overheat and things like that. Um, So, you know, I'm making use of all of that, but I also, you know, put in a lot of work, and I'll I'll claim some credit for for that. Yeah, when is the the consumer release? Is that happening right now, or is it happening... It is happening this month. They haven't announced a a particular date, but they've pretty much said uh, before or on Black Friday. Okay. Yeah. Sweet, yeah, and so I, that's I, I like was... if you have any of the latest Samsung phones, anything released in the last year, then you'll be able to get good VR, you know, by buying this $99 headset. Yeah, that's, that's really inexpensive uh, mm-hmm. compared to some of the other headsets. I mean, I, I think that's like the, the cost of Elite Motion, isn't it? <coughs> yeah, it's close to that. Um, I, I think it might end up being really popular. I, it, I don't know if it's... Um, if it's as obvious a choice, if like you don't already have that phone, mm-hmm. but there's so many people who have, you know, these are really popular phones. Yeah, millions and millions of people already have them, and if you happen to be one of those people, I think it's kind of a no-brainer. You know, if you have any interest in VR, it's a really, really good way to get into it. 
Yeah, you don't have to worry about uh, some crazy computer setup. You don't have to configure anything yeah. really. It's just plug in and go. Ease of use wise, it's better than PC. It's you know you're just not going to be able to get the same kind of detail of graphics and things like that that you'll be able to get on PC. Yeah, yeah, that that would be one of the only downsides. Um, mm-hmm. But you can bring it anywhere. You can even bring it to parties. Oh, that would be. That'd be fantastic, because like, whenever I think of VR, I think of all these cords running everywhere, uh, <laughs> hooked up to your PC, and you <laughs> having like a, a five-foot radius of walking around. Yeah. Uh, my, my roommate had an Oculus uh, dev kit um, mm-hmm. while I was in college, so like that, that's kind of my experience with VR. Uh, right. Except- it's also, it is really nice for, for showing to other people, because you, know, you, you don't have to bring them into your VR lair you can just sort of hand them something and, and tell them to put it on. Um, and I actually, just uh, a couple of days ago, I went up to an event in L.A. to uh, to demo some of my games. And um, I, I have two Gear VRs, different versions, and just threw those in, like, a little messenger bag, and that's all I had to carry. <laughs> Whereas normally you're carrying, like, the, the giant case for the Oculus Rift and, like, a PC that's powerful enough to run it, um, and then all the associated cables and... You know, it's it's a a big hassle. At least for an indie. <laughs> for anyone. <laughs> yeah. You gotta like bring a little cart to to push it all around in. Yeah, it's it's always an adventure setting up for like uh packs or something like that where you're doing a lot of demo stations. Um Gear VR is a you know, is great in comparison. Sweet. Uh so yeah, um let's let's see. Samsung Gear VR. I'm gonna I'm gonna drop a link in the in the IRC. All right. Oh, and that would not be the right spot. And there we go. We'll save that for afterwards. Um, sweet. So yeah, Samsung Gear VR is coming out this month. Uh, now I I kind of wish that I didn't get a new Motorola phone. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean I I don't use the Samsung phone as like my just standard phone. I'm lucky enough that I got some for testing purposes and for development purposes uh, from Oculus. So, you know, yeah, that is kind of a barrier. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I I I, I could take an extra phone. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be the worst thing. <laughs> yeah, and and that's what Samsung, like, I think also a lot of people, it might be something that determines what kind of phone they get. If they're on the fence about getting the Samsung Galaxy S6 or, you know, the whatever competing Android phone, mm-hmm. um, this might tip the balance, and that's what Samsung wants. Uh, you know, I think from their perspective, they're probably not thinking that this is going to, like, really uh, push the bottom line at all for them. Because you know their business is gigantic, mm-hmm. um, but it is something that you know they can sort of point to. That's like, look how high tech we are. Look at the things that our phone can do that no one else can do. You know, absolutely. So it's it's a nice alliance between uh, Oculus and Samsung and developers like me. So a couple times I've tried explaining like Darknet to people. Like just just the other day, Ian, uh, who's usually on here as a co-host. He's like, oh man, this looks pretty cool, but what exactly do you do? <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, there's this grid, and you kind of like place these viruses on the blue nodes. <laughs> and then they this go has out been my waves. challenge for like, 
the entire time I've been developing it. Yeah, it's, it's so I usually, you know, describe the game as a cyberpunk hacking game and the astute gamers will ask, yeah, but what do you actually do? Which is entirely the correct question, but just way more difficult to answer um, because the gameplay is so abstract. Um, so my best attempt at answering it, you know, without using visual aids is that Darknet is like a strategy puzzle game. Um, you have a, a network that you know is presented to you that's composed of hundreds of nodes, which are like these little spheres. Every single one of them represents like a server you can hack. So you can enter any of those nodes and you're presented with a puzzle. And if you solve that puzzle, you get money. Um, you can use that money to sort of upgrade your abilities so that you can solve more difficult puzzles. And you're therefore sort of working your way up through these levels of difficulty, hacking harder and harder servers, going through more and more security. And your goal is to be able to uh, hack the most secure server in the network within a time limit. So you're sort of racing the clock. That um, is a great, great description. <laughs> it does, it leaves out sort of, it glosses over the, and then you solve the puzzle part, which is like a whole other layer to the game. Um, and then there's also all sorts of, you know, sort of special software that you can purchase that sort of can weaken the network or can capture things without you having to hack servers manually. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, the game does a better job of explaining and presenting that than I could over radio. So mm-hmm. um, there, on, on the website, if you go to the demo section of the website, there's a, a video there that's sort of my attempt of like, you know, playing through the game and narrating it to explain in 10 minutes, like, here's what the game is, how it works, what it looks like. Yeah, uh, my, I, the, <laughs> was like <laughs> trying to start two separate sentences there. Didn't work. Um, yeah, I, I actually uh, ended up sending Ian to your site and just saying, hey, watch this video. It'll explain it way better than I did. Uh, but yeah, no, that, that was a great description. I'm going to have to steal that and be like, yeah, so... <laughs> I've yeah, been giving sure. that description, you know, in, in different ways on in shows and stuff like that for a couple of years now. Um, and I still, I'm still not, you know, 100% satisfied with it. It's just really difficult to um, to describe this game, as you said, because it's like well, there's a bunch of hexes and they sort of spread out and they collide with each other. You know, it's it's it doesn't lend itself to uh, to words, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, elevator pitches are just hard, too, because it's yeah. like, where, how do I go into enough detail without going too in detail while also accurately describing what yeah. what I want? Or also, like, the, I, I actually think the coolest part or the part of Darknet that I'm most proud of mm-hmm. is... The um, the mechanics of how the puzzles work, because it's a it's like a mechanic that I first of all I've never seen it before. As far as I know, it is it is new. It is you know its own unique thing. Um, but uh, beyond that, it has like all sorts of cool properties. Where like I um, you know it can expand to sort of be any size you know and uh, expand in complexity, or it can you know be tweaked in difficulty in a lot of different ways pretty easily. And it's uh, randomly generated, so every puzzle is different. Um, and that's not all, you know, that's all not easy to do. And it's, it, it all produces pretty good gameplay. Like, it's pretty interesting to think your way around these puzzles, um, at least in my humble, unbiased opinion. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I will agree with you. It, it was a lot of fun. Um, I think my favorite thing um, mm-hmm. was one, one of the viruses, the one that spreads throughout the uh, uh, adjacent nodes. Right, um, yeah. It, when, when I placed that, like, I, I saw it happen, and then it started spreading super, like, like enwrapping the screen and watching mm-hmm. that, like, as it goes throughout all the different... Uh, servers and like being able to turn my head and watch it oh that was probably like <laughs> the highlight right there because it, awesome. it was just like it it enwrapped you oh man. yeah yeah and that's um that's the hydra that you're referring to ah, the and, hydra. yeah it's it's everybody's favorite part of that demo because you sort of you know the the demo or you know the game is guiding you through sort of how to weaken the network or you know sort of get a, a you know a foothold and then you use the hydra which spreads through the network and captures stuff that is uh that's unprotected and then continues spreading and so it's sort of like all of a sudden you've captured an enormous chunk of this network um you know at relatively low cost and that's that's always a good move it's harder to do of course in like the really difficult levels to to get into a position to use it um but it's always like it's like it's the moment of payoff essentially yeah you you feel powerful like it's like oh man I own half of the board now. Yeah, can't can't stop me. Because I because I I went into the demo like, oh my goodness, there's a lot of nodes. There's no way I'm gonna get like more than five of these before I I'm like, oh man, I've spent way yeah. too long here. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's sort of actually meant to have this aesthetic of um of like too much uh, of you know one of the terms that's uh, used to define cyberspace was unthinkable complexity. Um. And that was in Neuromancer, one of the you know the first cyberpunk books that you know kind of gave birth to this whole cyberpunk aesthetic. And uh, so one thing that I tried to do in Darknet was have these relatively simple systems where once you understood them, you know they were not going to be too daunting. But before you understood them, they looked just impossible. Like it's just like there's hundreds of nodes in front of you. They're all like you know, passing data between each other and some of them are different colors or have rings floating around them and there's just so much of it. And inside any one of them, there's like several hundred, you know, hexes that all, you know, seem like they relate to each other in different ways and you don't know how they work. And, you know, so kind of overloading the player at the beginning is important to me um, because I I guess it, it sort of, it ties in with what I think makes hackers cool in movies which you know like in a hacking movie you'll see the character look at some you know ridiculous screen or whatever of just like you know the code in the matrix or something where it's Mm -hmm. just like impossible to understand it's just way too complex you have no idea what it means but that character understands it and that's what makes them so cool and so you know the difference between like a somebody who's never played darknet you know they're the person who's watching and has no idea what's going on Somebody who's gone through just like you know a tutorial understands it and is that hacker now. Yeah. Nice. Um, <laughs> the most ridiculous uh, hacking scene that that I've seen recently. Um, it, it it just came to me. Um, have you seen uh, this movie? It was kickstarted. Um, it's called Kung Fury. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the hacking. scene in that movie oh man um, yeah I, I wasn't there like a guess the password scene or something like that uh, 
I don't think so. He no. he uh, he hacks the download to the <laughs> upload and is able to transport the main character through time. Right. Yeah. They hack time. <laughs> Are you sure you want to hack time? Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I that was just a a weird tangent that came up. I, I was wondering if you had seen that because I, I got well, a good it, laugh. It's it's lampooning like the sort of the same things that you know the darknet is is taking inspiration from. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of these uh, these movies that sort of follow those tropes of you know, sort of like, do we dare hack this thing? And then just a bunch of techno babble, and then something impossible happens. Um, and I don't know. I kind of like that. And Darknet kind of follows that, not in sort of a, a funny, cheesy way, but in like, I'm not too concerned about following the the rules of real world hacking. I'm not really interested in, in actual cybersecurity. I just like this idea of like, you know, power in the computer, playing with that. Yeah, real hacking doesn't doesn't look uh, nearly as entertaining. It's like, oh, you you wrote a line of code, and now you're waiting twenty minutes. Nice. Yeah, or like <laughs> you know, you're you're calling up the receptionist, trying to trick them into giving you a password or something. I would much rather be flying through cyberspace in virtual reality. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, Using my wits against the system. <laughs> Take that, firewalls. Exactly. Uh, so you said that it was complete in December. Have you made any changes to the game? I have. Yes. Um, the game, I'm planning on releasing a PC version for the Oculus Rift when that comes out. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've made some changes that are designed to take advantage of you know, the, uh, the extra performance that I'll have on PC as compared to, uh, you know, a phone. Um, but I've also gone and tried to make some gameplay changes, partially just to sort of expand the game and, and give it, some, you know, more, uh, more shelf life, mm-hmm. and then partially um, in response to some things that players have requested. So, like, um, in Darknet, you know, sort of in the vanilla version, there's a, uh, most of the pressure comes from the timer. You know, you're, you're hacking this network, um, but mostly you're, you know, you're racing against the clock and there's nothing sort of fighting back against you. And so one uh, element that I've introduced into some of the networks in Darknet in you know, this updated version, which is not yet released, um, is these sort of enemy agents where you know, an- another hacker that's sort of acting defensively is working against you and you know, recapturing nodes and strengthening the network in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can sort of you know, fight them off, you know, with different items and things like that. So is that kind of more of a real-time thing, or is that turn-based, or how exactly does the time flow work with them hacking? Um, the the game proceeds the same way it does in, in, you know, Darknet as it is now, where, you know, the the time is constantly ticking down, and, uh, you know, you're just trying to get to the, the root node, you know, before that time runs out. Um with the sort of enemy agent, you know, hacker that I'm talking about here, uh-huh. that's just taking place in the background. It's not like an actual other player. I haven't. I decided to forego doing real multiplayer, mm-hmm. um, but it's sort of a you know a, a mo- semi-predictable um, object in the network that's sort of moving from node to node and um, going for the you know the nodes that you've hacked and then. Um, Restoring them, you know, even stronger than they were before, and so it's sort of constantly happening in the background, um, and you need to be, you know, sort of keep that in mind. Like it, it, it might, 
engender certain strategies of like, oh, I'm going to go hack in this part of the network that's really far away from the rest to draw away the enemy so that I can go hack over here, you know, in this other part for longer without being disturbed. Okay. Um, Yeah. So it's, it's all taking place in, you know, in real time in that case. Um, but you know, while the timer's ticking down, uh, but, but it's not like you're in like a synchronous direct combat with the thing. I gotcha. Yeah. I was thinking that this entity would just, um, like choose, choose a spot and start working its way out. So you'd have to like go, go attack it. But the whole idea of it kind of following you around and you being able to trick it. Oh, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) Cause then not only are you hacking, but you feel like you're outsmarting, outsmarting the system. That's the goal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great. Great. Um, all right. So, um, We've we've covered Darknet. We've talked a bit about VR. Have you have you used the Leap Motion? Yes, I have. I, I did a uh, a couple small games for Leap Motion. Nothing with Leap in VR, though. Or nothing with what? Nothing with the Leap Motion in VR. Oh, okay. Like they, you know, they've they've made a pretty big push to be able to um like see your hands in VR and actually attach the, attach the Leap Motion to a VR headset. Mm-hmm. I have not played around with that as a developer yet. Yeah, uh, my I, I got the Leap Motion. Um, I joined into their jam last year. Yeah, it was last yeah. year. That that was also through IndieCade. Um, yeah, and uh, I I played around with that a bit. I didn't really make anything interesting, but I I learned how to use it. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, they they it comes with a a little clip for the Oculus, so you can just snap it right on there. Um, so yeah, that that's really cool that they're doing that. Um, that's probably what sold me on it was being able to see my hands while I'm playing some virtual reality game. But yeah, what, yeah, what did you pitch. create with Leap Motion? Um, I, I made some non-VR stuff. One of them was a, a long time ago, and it was sort of like a simple strategy game prototype, not really worth talking about. More recently, I, um, I made a spellcasting game where it's not tracking your hands. It's only doing tool tracking, which is like a, a pencil or something like that. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it's a, uh, you know, the pencil represents like a wand uh, in the game. And so it's sort of like Harry Potter spellcasting or something. We called it swish and flick. Swish and like it's, it's detecting gestures or like, you know, sort of um, certain patterns of movement and translating those into, into spells. And you're sort of dueling against, an, you know, another wizard. Hmm. I'm looking it up quick. Um, there's I... barely been any, anything, you know, I, it wasn't like a published game or anything like that. It was made at a, a, a two-day game jam. Oh, okay. So it wouldn't be on their store. No, it wasn't submitted to the store. Okay, because there there was a spellcasting game that I saw yeah. there a while back. My friend was super <laughs> pumped about it, and I was yeah. While, was... while I was um, like making it, I at one point went on the you know Leap website and I looked and I was like, oh, like everyone's had this idea. <laughs> um, that said, this one is uh, does play pretty different from what I've seen so far. Yeah, so. I believe the one that I saw, too, uh, used hand gestures instead of a, mm-hmm. a wand. Yeah. And mine, you know, the, the wand is actually, it's not so much gestures as it is, like, a radial menu mm-hmm. where, like, you know, you'll have, like, sort of a circle of options, you know, the, you know, it's, it's like, different directions that you're going to move your wand. 
So if you move it to the left, that sort of selects fire spells. And then that brings up a new set of options that's also in sort of a radial menu on the same circle. And so by, you know, you'll sort of memorize, oh, this particular spell is, you know, a sequence of five moves. It's like, you know, left, up, you know, bottom right, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, you can you can memorize those movements. And it's actually, it's nice because tracking, you know, hitting points on a radial menu is a lot, uh, a lot easier than actually learning gestures. Mm-hmm. So it's... Um, it's it's pretty good about recognizing them. Yeah, that was definitely the the hardest part with using the leap motion was kind of wrapping my head around how to like track gestures and movements because it's like, well, how do how do you record it and then how do you take that data and turn it into you know knowing that that's a gesture, right? Uh, so yeah, your radial thing is is a clever solution to that. Uh, and that that was just over a two day little jam. Yeah, and so the thought was that if it felt really good, then I could try to do it in um, virtual reality, mm-hmm. and uh, and maybe even you know use something like the HTC Vive, um, you know, which has uh, that's you know Valve's headset, and it uses um, two really well tracked um, controllers, hand controllers, and so my problem with the Leap Motion is that it, it it's kind of jittery. It doesn't you know it's not um, perfectly accurate mm-hmm. the vive on the other hand is is really accurate and so i could imagine you know maybe making the spell casting game in full on the vive um but you know i i i have my plate full right now so i sort of put that you know put that to the side yeah so when when is the vive coming out it's 2016 right is there a release date <laughs> uh they they said 2015 oh they uh, did yeah, they they have not yet backed down from that. There's you know all sorts of speculation about like mid December or thereabouts, um, and it's not clear you know how many will be available or how how you know wide the release will be, but um, they are still, as far as I know, shooting for this year. Okay. Yeah, there was there was a game uh, at Indiecade. I think there might have been a game in the uh, the firehouse too, but it was a uh, job simulator. Oh yeah, and that that was using the uh, the the tracking, and that that was a huge line. I I didn't even get a chance <laughs> to play it. Every time I'd go there, there were like five to ten people in line, and it's it's about fifteen minute sessions. So I was like, oh, I'm not waiting in line for two hours. <laughs> yeah, and the Vive has a um, you know a wider tracking area than the Oculus Rift. It's, you mm-hmm. know, it's built for room scale, and it has the uh, the motion controllers, and um, it's gotten a lot of really really good testimonials and so um and then there's just not many of them out there so every time it shows up in public it's just mobbed so many people want to try it um at this point you know they they i think they sort of stepped up the number that they've uh, sent out to developers recently um so that's good hopefully you know people will get to try it in the same way people got to try the oculus rift just from having a friend who who has it or something like that um but it's it's sort of the most in demand for public demos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, I believe there were three. I don't even know what to call them sensors <laughs> uh, that were put into the uh, the room. Do you know if that's going to be a thing in the final version? Or are you going to have to mm-hmm. have all three of those sensors? Um, I think it's just two. Oh, and, it's just two. Um, yeah, you, you're supposed to set them up on opposite corners of the room. 
like on the ceiling looking down or something like that. And um, they're actually uh, shooting out lasers, and a um, and they're synced with each other, and you know it's a very particular like you know speed and everything. And the uh, the headset is actually reading them, and using you know it's reading them fast enough that it can use that information to you know figure out exactly where you are in space. Um, so there's there's a lot of you know cool advantages to that system where like you know the uh, those you know base stations they're called or lighthouses that are shooting out these lasers don't actually have to be connected to um, your computer at all. They can be pretty dumb and just you know just sit and do their thing. And then you can have any number of devices that are in the room, um, you know, reading those signals. So like you can actually just set up, you know, you you need to set up two uh, sensors to have you know one headset running. Mm-hmm. But then you could introduce a second and third and fourth headset without setting up any more sensors, and they should all run. Really? Yeah. There's been a couple people who've done that for demos, um, where they'll you know set up the two sensors and then like a row of like four different you know uh, vibes four different headsets that's really cool it's pretty cool yeah so do you have a vibe then too i do yes you got the whole um, whole collection <laughs> i i have like a dozen different headsets right now um some of them are sort of outdated and i probably will not not ever use again but i i'm just drowning in them um my vive unfortunately I, i've had like a good long demo um with one before i got mine mm-hmm. but um I, I struggled with um, some firmware problems on mine where one of the base stations wasn't working. So if you, it would work perfectly as long as you only faced in one direction, which <laughs> kind of defeats the purpose. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I, I've been working on other stuff on trying to, you know, get uh, the first version of Tactera done. So I haven't really spent much time, you know, troubleshooting that at this point. I do look forward to trying to make the, you know, make the game into a room scale version, though. Absolutely. So, you just brought up Tectera, or Tectura, as I was calling it earlier. Um, <laughs> so, I, I think this is a good segue to jump into that. So, sure. uh, now that you're like pretty much moving on from Dark Knight, um, you might still have a couple things left to do, but for the most part, you've moved on, and now you've uh, brought on this project, which I haven't, uh, you know, tried yet, so I... I only know as much as as the video show. So you want to give us your pitch on what what this game is? Yes. Uh, Tactera is a virtual tabletop real-time strategy. So essentially, you have this holographic battlefield in miniature in front of you. And there's tanks rolling over the hills and planes flying overhead. And you're commanding these troops around the battlefield um, in sort of a uh, real-time strategy gameplay. So, think like a tabletop game, except all the pieces are moving. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, if you guys want to follow along and uh, view the video or check out the screenshots, it is uh, tacteragame.com. Uh, That's seven letters. T-A-C-T-E-R-A. Um, so, easy to spell, easy to remember. Um so yeah, uh, check it out. There's a couple screenshots on there that uh, mm-hmm. show gameplay, and then of course the video, which is you know thirty screenshots per second, pretty much. <laughs> so uh, definitely go check that out. Um, so where, where'd you get the idea for this one? 
Um, I, I'm not really sure. Again, I'm sort of playing with um, tropes from sci-fi mm-hmm. where, you know, I, I knew there's this idea of like the command center, you know, in the near future where all the military people are gathered around this table that's projecting a hologram of whatever's happening and, um, you know, poking it in different ways to make stuff happen. So I, um, I built a little prototype for that for a, um, a hackathon, uh, I guess, maybe a, about a year ago. Okay. Um, and uh, that, that was, it was very simple. It was, you know, not very good. Um, my tanks were composed out of stretched out cubes in <laughs> Unity, um, which actually was fine. No one really noticed. Anyway, um, so I, I took that and um, eventually Oculus announced they were doing another VR jam, the mobile VR jam, specifically for the Gear VR. And that took place early this year. Um, in like you know March or April, and so I decided that I was going to take advantage of that again. So I, um, you know, sort of my schedule was clear and uh, used that as sort of the, the motivation or the you know hard deadline to get myself to build a, a prototype. And so um, that's how Tech Terror was born. And I, I did not win the jam this time around, but I had a finished product and people seemed to like it and Oculus seemed to like it. So uh, I decided that that would be my next thing. So. That's what I'm working on right now. The plan right now is to um, to finish a like a free demo version that I can release um, relatively soon, soon after the um, the Gear VR consumer launch. So probably like mid December, okay. and then follow that up uh, early next year with a full version. Wow, that, that's pretty fast turnaround. Yeah, well, I, I it could be that way, but you could also see it as like I've been working on it for you know six or seven months or so and frankly I, I feel like I'm behind schedule like I, I, oh, I should have had all this stuff done you know I worked too slowly in those those intervening months only now am I really sort of getting to like a, a really good pace of, of productivity huh. it's hard being a, you know a one person studio mm-hmm. like if you, if you have like a slow day then your entire studio has had a slow day yeah know? that's why I'm like that, that is a fast turnaround because usually like two, three, four people studios take more than a year to, to ship a game. So <laughs> yeah, that's able- true, and you know that that partially reflects the scope of the game. Um, and I should I should also be clear that although I keep saying I'm a one person studio, I uh, get help from independent contractors for the stuff that I can't do myself, like art or music or sound or things like that. Um, so I do all the programming and game design, and you know. PR and production and all of that, but uh, it's actually like six or seven people who have their hands on any one of my games. You know, that's that's an interesting uh, topic to bring up. Um, I was recently introduced to this website called uh, Skindler, um, Hmm. S-K-I-N-D-L-E-R, and they are basically uh, a new firm that is for contracting... um, freelance game developers and artists and musicians and modelers and you name it for games Hmm. um it's really cool they want to kind of be like the place to go to if you need people to work on your game but right now um obviously there you have to go out and kind of do it yourself you have to find people how how do you find um people that are reliable and um you know that that fit your project How, how do you find these these contractors that you work with um it's a, a couple different ways um 
some people are are local, and I've met them, and you know, uh, gotten to talk to them, or you know, take a look at their projects and things like that. Um, others I find, you know, through Twitter or just online, um, you know, or you know, other developers will send out an email saying, "Oh, I worked with so and so; they're great. They're looking for work," and you know, it's sometimes just a happy coincidence, like, "Oh, that's exactly what I need right now." <laughs> so, um, like for example, I. Um, for the UI art on Darknet, I um, I saw a tweet from a guy named Clemens Scott, who um, was an artist, you know, who who'd done work on some games that I just thought were absolutely gorgeous, and they were they were two D games, they were really stylized, um, and they looked like nothing else I'd ever seen, and I thought they looked great, um, and those games were Chasing Aurora and Secrets of Radicon um, by the studio Broken Rules. Okay. And so, you know, I followed him on Twitter. He mentioned he needed work. I contacted him. He did just amazing work right off the bat from for Darknet. And it was one of those things where, you know, it's it's like just getting a present in your inbox, you know, every every couple days of just more amazing art that I didn't even know that's what I wanted, but it's perfect. And so, um for Tactera, I, I worked with him again because I had such a good experience. And then also I needed help on some 3D models because I was doing like, you know, little tanks and fighters and stuff like that. And so he, it turns out, had a colleague who um, was a 3D modeler and in his off time worked on papercraft, actually. So to me, that seemed like the perfect, you know, hobby for a low poly uh, 3D artist. And so I contacted him and, you know, he came with a recommendation from someone I really trusted and liked. And that worked out perfectly as well. Um, you know, it, I in other cases where I don't have as much confidence in um, you know a person's previous work or something like that, I'll try to do some sort of like limited uh, first try and just see how well we work together. Mm-hmm. You know, some like subtask or something. Um, but uh, it's mostly worked out. You know, I yeah, think mostly if a... you look at a person's previous work, that gives you a decent idea of the quality of what they can do in the future. Oh, absolutely. So you haven't had to, like, shut anyone down? Sorry, you're, you're not the fit. <laughs> um, I, I, actually, I have a couple times. Um, I've never done that, you know... I've never... It's always been, like, some sort of paid job. Like, I'll hire someone to do, you know, a small amount of work, and then if, if I'm not thrilled with it, then I, I'll just, you know, sort of move on. Um, but... Uh, that's only happened a couple times, actually. And, you know, some of that was, like, when I was just starting out and I didn't really know how to find anyone or things like that. That Actually, I, I had to do that the most when I was just looking up for freelancers on the Internet. And, I, you know, I go to sites where it's, like, here's where people look for freelancers. Um, and for some reason, that, that didn't get me a really great, uh, you know, set of options. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was once I started looking through people, you know, whose work I really liked or other developers that I trusted, you know, and, and doing sort of networking um, that I was able to find people that I, uh, you know, really did good results. Hmm. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, the, um, the, the freelancing sites are very hit or miss. Um, mm-hmm. Like, and, uh, and I should oh. be clear, like, I, I haven't tried, like, Skindler or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. It was mostly, like, forums or, like, 
different subreddits for people looking for game work and stuff oh, like that. Okay. More like, you know, free uh, association things. Mm-hmm. So did you use anything like uh, Freelancer or Elance or anything like that? Or did you mostly stick with like the subreddits and forums? I looked into Freelancer and Elance, um, and there were things, you know, that I liked about it. But I also just sort of, um, I don't know. You'd find people, you know, who are, you know, you need programming help and you find someone who says, oh, I, you know, I can do programming. I can take care of your, you know, full stack server programming needs. Um, And it becomes pretty clear that they're talking to some, you know, a different studio than mine. They're talking to like a, you know, a startup or something like that. Uh, So then I'll I'll find a Unity programmer and I'll like, oh, perfect. They're doing Unity. They're doing 2D work. That's what I'm looking for. But then they... All of their work is for mobile, free-to-play, casual games. Um, and, you know, it's all of the same style or something like that. And it's clear, like, they are fulfilling a need. You mm-hmm. know, there's a, a niche that they have found for themselves, and they're advertising their services on Elance, and people who need that kind of thing find them there. But I, I just always had the impression that it was, um, you know, this is not where anybody went to work on indie games. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, that's sort of limited. Like, I'm sure that there are th- some of these people um, would be happy to work on, you know, an indie game and would be capable of it. I just didn't feel like I had the um, the right kind of confidence to uh, to sort of start that process. Okay, that makes sense. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've had, I've had mixed experience. I, I've been on the other side of, of those sites. Um, mm-hmm. And it, and they're they're weird. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. It, it's hard to find like the perfect match because it's just like all these people being thrown into this pit, like crying, <laughs> like "Hey, hire me, hire me!" And it's like, "Hey, I'm looking for for a programmer, somebody," and everybody's yeah. just yelling into the void and hoping that they they run into each other. Yeah, that's that's also part of it. it you know, from from the perspective of somebody who's looking for work. Um, or, you know, who's looking to hire someone, you, you might say, like, if you put up an ad saying, I need somebody who can do this specific thing, you'll, you'll no matter what it is, you'll get 100 people saying, I can do that exact thing perfectly. I've done it a billion times before. Hire me right now. Um, and many of them, I think, you know, that's copy-pasted. They're, they're not really, like, looking for a perfect match. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. That's, that's why I wanted to bring it up because mm-hmm. I'm sure it's a a skill that a lot of people are trying to master is being able to find people to work on their project that yeah that are good and fit with the project. Uh, so we we're we're pretty much at the sixty minute mark. We can we can still go a bit more um, if you're okay with time. Yeah, I'm, I have nothing going on. Um, happy to talk. Okay, sweet. Sweet. Yeah, I just didn't want to, like, <laughs> be like, oh, yeah, well, we're going to keep going, but... <laughs> yeah, no worries. If, if you have stuff, too bad. No. Um, yeah, so uh, let, let's jump Let's jump into the past. Uh, so <laughs> before you got into VR, um, I, I guess I have two questions. Uh, one, uh, what... D- no, that that was the second question. <laughs> one, um, VR. Time travel, man. What? I said time travel. It always messes you up. Yeah, exactly. 
the first one is, did, did you ever see yourself um, getting into VR? Is this anything that you could have predicted? Not really. I, um, I knew I wanted to be a game developer for a long time. Um, I thought for a while that I wanted to be a game programmer. And then over the course of college, I slowly realized that I didn't really like programming. <laughs> um, I just did it because it allowed me to do game design. And, uh, so I, and then I thought I was going to be in the AAA industry for a long time. And so um, I tried to follow that path. And then I sort of realized that I had the opportunity to go indie. So I did. And, um, and then I didn't really think I was going to do anything in VR. Like That wasn't something that I uh, was setting out to do. I just backed the Kickstarter for Oculus because um, it had such great testimonials from, like, you know, Cliff Blazinski and mm-hmm. Gabe Newell and John Carmack and all these people I trusted. Um, so I kind of stumbled into VR. And, um, you know, I, 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 not everybody who's working in VR followed that path. Like, I think there's... Um, there's a good number of people who are, you know, VR developers first and foremost, and they are super into virtual reality. That's what they want to work in. Whereas I am a game developer first and foremost. Um, you know, games are what fascinates me, and uh, I happen to be working in the medium of VR. If it turns out that like VR is a complete flop, or if it turns out that no one really wants to play games in VR, they just want to like watch movies or do passive experiences. Mm-hmm. That's totally fine. I'll just move back to doing games and other media. Um, you know, it's it would be sort of a shame, but it's not like I would, I don't know, would keep plugging away at it because the part that interests me is the games, not so much the VR. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, I've, I've thought about that. The Like, is VR... I mean, everybody has thought of it. Like, is VR going to take off? And I mm-hmm. think... Um, this could turn into a bit of a tangent. Uh, I think we might have brought it up on the radio before, actually. I think the rebirth of uh, arcades in America could definitely happen from VR mm-hmm. because you need you need space, uh, you need all this hardware, um, you need money for the hardware, and uh, people to have all of those. All of those, um, you know, it it's not. Um, a possibility for everyone like some people mm-hmm. like can't afford the hardware and other people they're like oh we can't we can't clear a room in our our house no way uh yeah so i think arcades like if somebody can create a chain of arcades um that that does vr stuff i think that would probably be the biggest push to making mm-hmm. vr like stick around for a while even if it doesn't necessarily take off in homes um like, it would still be able to exist. Yeah. I, I sort of see a, a continuum of, like, uh, quality and cost, where on sort of the bottom you have uh, Google Cardboard, which is really, really low cost, um, very convenient, but just not good in terms <laughs> of quality. Um, pretty far beyond that, you have something like the Gear VR, which is, you know, still relatively, you know, convenient and cheap, but but good. Then you have, like, PlayStation VR and Oculus Rift and the HTC Vive, which are, like, you have to set everything up yourself and, you know, have the special equipment, but it's really good. And then the step beyond that would be what you're talking about, which is, like, the, you know, out-of-home entertainment arcade model. Um, And there is a couple companies that are doing really interesting things in that. 
One of them is actually called VRcade. Um, there's another company uh, called The Void, which um, I don't, you may have heard of it. Um, what they're doing is like building like a purpose-built um, structure that's just like an environment for playing VR games in. Mm-hmm. And what you know, they're doing interesting things with that. Where like, you know, there'll be like a panel on the wall that it's actually just like a flat painted, you know, square. But in virtual reality, it looks like some futuristic, you know, touch screen or whatever, and you can interact with it. Or they'll um, they'll have like a giant loop of uh, you know around the the building, and as you walk along it, they adjust the um, the direction that you're seeing so that it feels like you're walking along a straight hallway infinitely. Mm-hmm. And that you're not locked in just like this this warehouse, um, and these are real things that they're working on and doing, and feel really cool to me. So um, I think that experience might be you know not so much analogous to going to an arcade as like going paintballing or something, where you go, you probably pay a little more money, you spend more time in there. They have to like set you up and give you the equipment and everything, mm-hmm. um, but it's still like something that people would want to do. It's still really cool. Yeah, setup is a huge part of that too. Like, who who wants to set up and take down, uh, you know, a, a crazy um, uh, Vive Vive setup? You know, uh, put your cameras up. You know, boot it up to your computer, get everybody set up. But if if you went to a place like that, that would be like one of the best parts right there. Is that they already have it set up? It runs. You don't need to adjust anything. You just slip it on and go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the thing about um, walking in a straight line, I did hear something about that, how you can, like, uh, have a circular room, and they can adjust the image in there to make you walk in circles uh, infinitely, yeah. but it, it feels like you're just walking in a straight line, and that is the coolest Yeah, redirected thing. walking is the, the term to Google there. Redirected and, walking, okay. Yeah, and it's, it's like, the, the way I think about it is, like, if you, have you ever tried closing your eyes and walking in a perfectly straight line? And then you open your eyes and you realize that you're off by like at least a few degrees. You know, oh, you yeah. sort of drifted off to the side. We're not really good at telling just through our bodies what, you know, a straight direction is. Um, and so what these, you know, what this technology is doing is it's just sort of as you move forward, it's rotating your, your view, your camera in just the right way so that, you know, as you're sort of correcting it, you're actually going along a circle. Yeah, I... I, I think I've done it with my eyes closed, but I definitely know at night when all the lights are off, I'll, I'll like, try <laughs> finding the door, and I'll find that I'm hitting the opposite side of the door, and it's like, oh my gosh, where is this hammer? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. You can you can almost sometimes even feel it. You're like, oh, I'm not walking in a straight line. Crap. <laughs> yeah, I'm just guessing at this point. Yeah. So, uh, um, wait, I'm, I'm not 100% sure that... Um the sort of stand up and walk around experiences are going to be the, um, the most common use case for VR. Like, I think it is possible that, um, something like the Oculus Rift, you know, where it's more like you're at your desk, um, moving around in VR. I I think that might be sort of a nice sweet spot of like ease of setup and cost and, you know, comfort of, you know, of using this experience like that. If I was going to use it for, you know, an hour or two or more, um, I feel like I'd probably want to be doing it in my comfy office chair. Mm-hmm. So, different use cases, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> so, our, our arcades, we, we drifted. Okay, and then 
<laughs> so I, I asked you, you know, did you did you think you're gonna be into VR? And then the the other question that goes hand in hand with it was, what were you working on before VR? What what kind of stuff mm-hmm. were you doing? Um, so I'll go two steps back. Um, immediately before I did VR, I actually worked on a game for the Ouya. Do you remember the Ouya? Oh yeah, I, I've got mine just a few feet away from me, actually. Yeah. I have one of the like special developer Kickstarter editions, because um, so apparently you know my thing is kickstarting new hardware and trying to get in at the ground floor. So I um I made a, a simple like same screen multiplayer like abstract sports game called Bomb Ball um, for Ouya, and that was a a launch title, and. Um, that was fun. I'm very proud of the game. It's uh, There's a PC version available on my website, but Ouya did not really succeed um, as a console, and so that, that didn't really do anything for me from a business perspective. Um, it did get played by Game Grumps on YouTube, though, so that oh, was really? cool. Yeah. Uh, before that, I... Um, actually, before I went indie, actually, when I was still in college, <laughs> I... Um, just as like a side project, as like a, one of my hobbyist games, I built a game called Oralux, which is like a really slow um, real-time strategy game. It was meant to like to be more strategic, less about you know APM or reaction time. Um, very like kind of floaty and cerebral. Mm-hmm. And so um, I built that game and I uh, posted it temporarily for free on reddit and it uh hit the the top of reddit and um that got me enough attention that a company approached me wanting to port the game to mobile and so i did that with them and uh Oralux got released on mobile on you know ios and android and did really really well there um it never really did that great on pc which is where i built it but the ported version um did great, and that's to a large extent what allowed me to go indie in the first place. Um, and actually, I uh, am working with that company that did the original mobile port on doing a sequel to Oralux, which I announced like a few days ago. So, um, I, I don't often mention it in like the same conversation as I'm talking about my VR stuff because it's it feels so separate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I'm actually like releasing three games in like the same you know. Same window, Darknet Tectera and Oralux Constellations. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Um, on that one, you know, I'm uh, I'm not doing any of the programming work really, mm-hmm. um, but I am responsible for doing all of the um, the level design and things like that, and you know, some of the game design. Um, so it's yeah, I'm I'm sort of like quarter time on on Oralux. Okay. And yeah, looking forward to that coming out. Uh, Probably around the turn of the year. So, with all these releases, are you feeling a bit stressed? Is is releasing a VR game more or less stressful than a normal game? <laughs> it is may, maybe less stressful just because right now there's nobody, there's not like not much of a market. Um, so, if you release on Steam, you know you have like a giant surge of like a million people viewing it at once, mm-hmm. and you have to really knock it out of the park at the beginning. Um, with VR, I you know I released Darknet um, last year in December, and 
there just there were not many people who had a Gear VR at the time. So, um, you know, it's I, I it turned out like it was a pretty successful launch. Like there wasn't anything horribly wrong with it, um, and the, you know, Oculus probably would not have allowed it to launch if there was. But if I had like screwed up somehow, um, it wouldn't have been that big a deal, you know, because like it's sort of a slow rollout of the technology of the, you know, a slow increase in the audience. Um, mm-hmm. That's going to be, you know, less and less true now, though. Now that uh, the Gear VR consumer launch is happening, the Oculus Rift launch is happening, um, I think those launches, uh, you know, from, my, from a software perspective, might be uh, more stressful than before. I gotcha. Yeah, just more writing on it. Yeah. Yeah. And then with... with um... Bombball, or no, not Bombball, sorry. Um, the sequel, uh, Oralux. Oralux, there we go. It's like Octera, no, Oralux. <laughs> so many names. I'm giving um, you a lot of names to think about. <laughs> um, so the Oralux, uh, you said you were just doing, um, the level, wait, no, it wasn't. Yeah, level, level design. Okay, it was level design, okay. Yeah. Um, and so with that, um, I'm guessing they're probably taking care of most of the, like, publishing and getting it out there yeah the majority i'm helping out you know i'm like sort of writing about the game like doing blog posts and things like that um and uh you know helping talk about the game Mm -hmm. um they're doing a lot of the work with uh you know talking to publishers and things like that or you know the the platforms so um i'm really grateful for that they're we're actually targeting um not just mobile, but also, you know, PC and console releases as well. Ooh. So, Are you able to talk about which consoles, or do you, do you guys even know yet? Uh, we have a decent idea, but are not doing, like, a, a real announcement yet, so I'll, I'll hold on to that. Okay. Yeah, no problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm always looking for uh, new Vita games to, uh, oh, yeah. to load up my Vita. Uh, there, there are so many great indie titles on there, and that's, that's pretty mm-hmm. much what my... Uh, memory card is full of. I, I really need to get an, uh, a second memory card to hold more stuff, but I haven't quite gotten around to it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, w- which consoles do you have? <sighs> Almost none. Almost none. Um, I mean, like, I have a uh, PS3 and an Xbox 360, mm-hmm. but uh, mostly I have a, a nice PC, and that's where I do, you know, almost all of my stuff. You know, I, I haven't really felt impaired by that at all. Like, almost all of the games that I've wanted to play have been available on PC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I'm on the verge of, of finally getting one of the next-gen consoles or current-gen consoles. Um, maybe just because of Rock Band 4. But uh, there, have been, there have been one or two other things I remember that, uh, you know, are pushing me in that direction. But I have not yet taken the plunge. Yeah, I'm. I'm really surprised that I haven't been all over Rock Band. I, I suppose it's because I haven't played the new version yet. Um, I uh-huh. wait, when I think Guitar Hero, yeah, Guitar Hero was like middle school age for me. So I, I'd come home every day and play it for like three hours. <laughs> like my my friends were all like, "Holy crap, how are you so good at this?" Um, I, I've never enjoyed the guitar on in, on the, any of these games. Oh, really? But I love singing and I really got into rock band drumming once that happened I was all over it and it was great because there were so many people who already knew the guitar yeah so you you were able to complete their band exactly (laughs) they were able to complete my band 
<laughs> oh man. Yeah, the uh the the whole rock band uh thing brings back a lot of memories of me and my buds just jamming out, mm-hmm. swapping between. So Yeah, like the rock band four would almost be like a nostalgia purchase for me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I I was always more of a guitar hero guy. Um mm-hmm. I I had like the guitar hero drum set with the cymbals and right all that stuff, uh, but that was mostly just me being a, a middle school aged kid that was like, <laughs> "Oh, guitar hero is so much better than rock band," just because it is, you know? Yeah, they, well, they it happened first. first. <laughs> I don't know. They they were both made by Harmonix, so yeah. Who cares? Yeah, pretty much. So I'll, I'll probably uh, succumb. Well, no, that's not the right word. I'll, I'll probably just get rock band. Uh, <laughs> When when I have a next gen console as well, because mm-hmm. it's so much fun. So have you have you ever worked on any like party games? Uh, it looked like Bombball was multiplayer. Yeah, it's um it is designed for like being good in a um you know a crowded setting. It's mm-hmm. um one of the big things I focused on with Bombball was designing for spectators. Okay. So there, there's different things about it that are designed to be like you know fun to watch as well as play. Um, and, and easy to watch. So, um, you know, I, there's, I actually kind of want to, you know, enough time has passed. I want to go back to that game and make a few changes and like make a four player mode and simplify some of the, you know, special mechanics and things like that. Um, but the, the base game I'm actually, I, I think is works really well. One of my favorite experiences with it actually was playing at IndieCade, uh, when Ouya had a tent in mm-hmm. 2013, I think. Um, I was there with uh, with Bombball and did like a little tournament where the uh, the winner would get an Ouya, and Whoa. so it went all the way you know down to finals and there was a really good final match. And then after the guy got his prize, there was like a, a show match between that winner and me, the developer, which was the best. Um, it was tied for for most of the game, but then I pulled away and won like five to two. So. All is right with the universe. Perfect. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. Um, I, I uh, remember there being a tent in 2014. Um, I I didn't go to Indicate 2013, but yeah, the <laughs> the Via tent was really cool. They had couches in there, and like, yeah, uh, it was a nice little tent. Um, yeah, I, I missed 2014, which I'm really sad about. But um, yeah, they they had the right idea. Like the Uya, I really like the idea of. It's a cheap console for doing, you know, like same screen multiplayer stuff, or like mm-hmm. you know these fun, simple games that, uh, you know, you you don't need a whole lot of power to uh, enjoy playing against somebody else on the couch with you. Mm-mm. And there are actually a lot of good games for that that uh that fit that you know same screen multiplayer niche. Yeah, the uh, I the games that I would always play were. Um... Toto, Toto Temple Deluxe, mm-hmm. uh, Towerfall. Because I mean, oh, yeah. if, if you have an Ouya, you gotta get Towerfall. Um, Duck Game, and uh, yeah, it, like my entire list was party games. Yeah, and like Hidden that, in that Plain was Sight was a big one for me. Which one? The, yeah, Hidden in Plain Sight. Oh yeah, that is so much fun. Right, and for for those who don't know what that is, it's like a game where there's like a you know fifty characters on the screen and you know, four players, each of whom is controlling one of these characters. And so a lot of the game is trying to figure out by their behavior 
who's an actual real-life player and not just, like, an AI. Um, so it's, it's like, trying to trick each other and mm-hmm. trying to, like, you know, hide in, hide in plain sight, as the title says. Yeah, and at the beginning of each match, you don't know who you are either, so you have to try to, mm-hmm. like, subtly um, do movements without making it obvious to the other players that that's you as well. So yeah. it's it's a total mind game, and I think that's where all the fun stems from because you try to trick your your friends into thinking that that you're not that guy and that maybe you're that that character or uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And there, there's like five different modes. Yeah, there's a bunch of different sort of games within the game um, of of ways of exploring this mechanic. Yeah, that. That was really well. I I don't even know who made that. Do, do um, you? Um, I I would recognize the name if I saw it. You know, at one point I'd be able to to mention it. Um, but yeah, that, that's you know just another game that's like it didn't need a ton of power. It doesn't need to run on a PS3. Um, it's perfect for you know gathering around the couch and playing. Like it was a great Ouya game. Um, and so it's it's yeah you know I I liked Ouya. I feel like there's a lot of people who, um, you know, kind of wrote it off from the very beginning. And, uh, and that hurt it in sort of public perception. And uh, that wasn't entirely fair. You know, I, I wish that it was uh, stuck around. It was more of a success. Mm-hmm. Uh, jumping back to the name, it's uh, Adam uh, Sprague or Sprague. Okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the... the uh, collapsing in on itself was super super awful they they were recently acquired by razor um yeah i believe uh but i haven't really looked into that um like i I got an email a while back saying like what what's happening but i didn't didn't really read into it so it'll be interesting to see if they they do anything with ouya like creating a, a new console or if they just are putting the the resources from ouya into what they're working on. Yeah, I, I think a big part of it is probably going to be taking the Ouya store and, um, you know, sharing that in China or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's their software library that's considered the uh, the most valuable part of Ouya at this point. Oh, definitely, yeah. The, um, I mean, the console was great. The, the controller was... Eh, it, it was all right. Um but you you could of course hook up any kind of controller to it pretty much um mm-hmm. but yeah the the software library there is really really great um and i think part of that too was that it it just runs on android so like it's it's super accessible to everybody you didn't have to like learn some entirely new world of uh programming yeah. like you would with vr or working for um, uh, a bigger console, so VR is not actually that bad. Is it? You'd be surprised. Yeah, hmm. um, I mean it's it's compatible with Unity and Unreal, the biggest you know engines, um, and they've they've actually made it really easy in Unity. You know, right now you just have to check uh, check a a box that says VR supported, <laughs> and then your main camera turns into a VR camera. Um, oh. <laughs> so. That, you know, there's design things you need to account for, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, properly displaying the depth of objects and not making the player sick and things like that. Um, from a technical perspective, they've made it pretty easy. I, what I 
tend to tell people is making a good game is way, way harder than making something work in VR. Mm-hmm. You know, the VR part is not the hard part. It's making anything worth experiencing, worth spending time on. Yeah, I've I've heard that from a couple of game developers. Not not on VR, but just in games in general. Like anybody mm-hmm. can make a game, and that, that's totally true. But to make a good polished game, that's that's where the challenge is. Mm-hmm. So it's universal, VR, Ouya, games. <laughs> All right, yeah. so, so we are nearing uh, an hour and a half, so I think we probably should wrap it up. Um, okay. It, this has been a, a great talk. Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to uh, bring up before we, we come to a close? Uh, no, I guess, you know, to plug my stuff, um, if you go to emcneil.com, E-M-C-N-E-I-L-L.com, that has links to all of the games that I've talked about. Oralux, um, Bombal, Darknet, Tectera. So if you're curious about any of those, you'll you'll see them in a big list there. Um, yeah, that'll that'll be it. Yeah, that, that was our next part. We usually let people plug. And your Twitter okay, is great. e underscore McNeil. Yes. Yes. Perfect. So yeah, uh, follow follow e. Check out his website. All that stuff. Uh, if you are listening to this in the archive version, um, there there will be links on the site under uh, click to show topics, or maybe it's just show topics click here. I, I don't remember what the text is um, that was like a year ago that I wrote that uh, you can click on that um, look at these show topics and it'll have it'll have links to all the relevant topics that we uh, discussed today uh, including uh, ease site uh, Twitter all that stuff and yeah um, thanks so much for coming on uh, if you want to stick around for a, a minute after the show we can we can talk for a minute and sure yeah uh, yeah this go. was a lot of fun thank you yeah, no problem. Thanks for coming on. All right, so now it is time for the credits. Thank you for listening in to broadcast number 68 of Indie Radio. Indie Radio is broadcasted live with 1,000 mics and recorded using Audacity. If you enjoy the show and are interested in more, you can visit our archive at IndieFunction.com, SoundCloud, or our recently added iTunes podcast. So our next show will be on November 21st with Handmade Heroes' Casey Miratori. Super excited for that. We're going to talk to him about um, Handmade Con that's coming up and... Uh, the one-year anniversary of Handmade Hero is also happening uh, the same week as our interview, which is why we had him on that date. Uh, so we'll be talking about that, and then we were thinking about doing a December 5th show, but if I end up going out to Handmade Con, uh, that show will be canceled, um, and we don't know who's gonna, going to be on that date uh, for sure. We have we have two developers that might jump on, but if, if it doesn't happen, then obviously we're not going to have either on. Anyway, thank you again for listening to Indie Radio, and we hope you have a fantastic weekend.